Hi everyone and welcome back to the BT Powerhouse podcast. It is uh, Monday, March uh, 5th, 2018. I am Thomas Bendit as always and we are coming to you after the 2018 Big Ten Tournament. It wrapped up on Sunday afternoon with Michigan taking down Purdue to win the tournament title. And we have a lot to recap, obviously, regarding the tournament, what happened, and what it means going forward. Um, I do want to start the podcast with a couple of notes. First, uh, if you are interested in any of our recap coverage, there's a ton of stuff on btpowerhouse.com right now. Looking at a lot of the teams across the league and sort of looking back at their season and what's to come if anything is to come. And then the second thing I want to note is I'm going to avoid getting too much into the seeding possibilities and the NCAA stuff. We're going to have another podcast here probably in the next day or so where we're going to hit on some of the seeding stuff. So I don't want to eat up all of this podcast doing that. So I really just want to look at the Big Ten tournament, sort of a look back at the season, about where the teams sit, and we'll have more of an in-depth look on seeding, you know, not only at the NCAAs, but the NIT. I'm sure I'll, we'll talk about it some today, but, you know, if you're looking for the, you know, how's Michigan or Michigan State going to get to Detroit? You know, is Purdue going to be a two seed? Who do they need to look out for? Uh, that will be in the next podcast. So hopefully you'll stick around <laughs> to chat about the Big Ten tournament or to listen to uh, our discussion here on the Big Ten Tournament, but I did want to throw that out there. So let's start with the obvious. Let's start with big takeaways as far as the tournament, and we'll dive in and go through each team. New York City. So we're getting a lot of articles. We're getting a lot of media attention, you know, saying the weekend was a great success. You know, the Madison Square Garden was awesome, that the Big Ten will be back. few things, you know, I should note, I have been complaining and whining about this New York City Big Ten tournament for quite some time. Uh, So please, you know, take everything I say with a grain of salt as well. Um, I I think there are two things. First off, everyone agreed Madison Square Garden is a great arena. I don't think any Big Ten fans disputed that. I don't think any of the Big Ten tournament critics disputed the fact that Madison Square Garden is a great arena. It can put on some big-time basketball games. I I don't think this was really up for debate at all. Uh, You know, that's personally my viewpoint. I think most people share that. However, it was a concern of, you know, is this what's best for the league? And moreover, you know, is it worth it for this crunched Big Ten schedule where the whole season is shortened? Um, for, for my point, I, I still don't think this is the best for the league. I don't necessarily have a problem in theory with a tournament being in New York City. You know, I, I think it would be nice for a little more rotation than what we saw, you know, in the first decade or so of the Big Ten tournament. But with that said, um, the majority of the Big Ten tournaments still need to be in Chicago. They still need to be in Indianapolis. That's where the fans are. That's where the teams are. It, it's just kind of ridiculous for these back-to-back, you know, East Coast trips. You know, look at Minnesota, look at Nebraska, teams like that. You know, just to use Nebraska as an example this year, I mean, the Cornhuskers, this is a big 
a, a big, a big Big Ten tournament for the Huskers. You know, this an NCAA tournament bid was on the line, and you're basically telling your fan base, well, gonna have to travel <laughs> like a thousand miles here if you want to come and root on the Huskers. So I, I do think, you know, we still need the majority in Chicago and Indianapolis. I don't necessarily have an issue in theory with putting it in New York City. My issue is, is twofold. First off, um, the back-to-back thing, East Coast trips, I didn't. I was not a fan of. I, I think they should have been spread out. You know, for instance, you could go DC, Indy, Chicago, New York, something like that. I think would have worked a lot better and would have taken some of the craziness of this East Coast swing out of it. And um, moreover, I think the the schedule crunch was just was just really bad and, and really rough, and I, I don't think there's any way to justify it. So, uh, and then the, the last thing I wanted to talk about as far as, you know, this media perception that the Big Ten tournament was awesome, that New York City really added to it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, first off, the Big Ten tournament is almost always awesome. So let's, let's not uh, <laughs> get carried away here with pretending like Madison Square Garden suddenly made some exciting and entertaining games. You know, last year's tournament was great. The year before that was great. I mean, this has been going for a long time. You know, this isn't the first year that there have been some good games. Um, but the other part of it, though, is, you know, we're hearing a lot about, oh, you know, well, Madison Square Garden was sold out. You know, uh, that was great. You know, first and foremost, it was sold out one day for one session, and that was Michigan, Michigan State. Um, you know, as as a Michigan guy, I can tell you that's a gigantic, gigantic rivalry. Doesn't surprise me at all that that's sold out. Um, and frankly, if that had been in other cities, it probably would have sold out as well um, because that's a huge, huge game that Michigan, Michigan State fans are really excited to see. So I don't necessarily think this selling out line is is all that relevant because, you know, if that would have happened in D.C., it probably would have sold a lot more tickets for that game as well. So overall, my, my viewpoints, I, I did think uh, the tournament was really entertaining. I think the environment was great. But, you know, the crunch schedule was still a huge issue. Um, And I think the majority of the Big Ten tournaments uh, need to be played in the Midwest, need to be played in Indianapolis and Chicago, unless Jim Delaney decides he wants to add a few more East Coast schools or something. Uh, So that that would be my take on it. My anticipation is is if Jim Delaney is in charge of this league, that they will be back in New York City at some point. Um, hopefully not with this compressed schedule, though. So that that's the first big takeaway I, I had of the weekend as far as the, the overall conference tournament. The other one is, you know, we got to talk about the champions uh, for a little bit here, and I'm referring to the Big Ten Tournament champions, um, Michigan. What a run uh, for the Wolverines. They win four games in four days. They beat Iowa in overtime on Thursday. Nebraska in dominating fashion on Friday, Michigan State by double digits on Saturday, and then Purdue in a pretty uh, one-sided performance on Sunday afternoon. The final score had it pretty, I think it was 11, uh, Michigan won by, but the majority of the second half, it was like a 20-point margin in favor of the Wolverines. So really, a really impressive run, Um, and I, I think there's a a couple things I want to note as far as Michigan and as far as their run. Uh, first off, you know, 
to do it as a five seed is, is a tall task. I know they did it last year as, as what, an eight, but it, it's a tough task. I mean, first off, you get a team coming off a win uh, who played on Wednesday, which was Iowa in this case. And we all know Iowa didn't necessarily have the greatest season, but um, you get a team who has played in the arena. They're fresh. Uh, and I shouldn't say fresh, but they're in rhythm. Um, you know, they've, they've played, they have at least one win in a row uh, under their belts here. So I, I think that is always a challenge when you're the team that sat uh, the day before. I think it's it's always a challenge um, in that first game, and then you know after beating Iowa, then you get the four seed, and um, you know Nebraska desperately needed that game. This, that was their season, Michigan Nebraska, and the Huskers had won I believe eight out of nine uh, to close the regular season. They come in with some momentum. They had blown out Michigan earlier in the season, and Michigan took it to them. Uh, that game was not competitive. Uh, it really wasn't. Uh, for any portion of the game. You know, the first couple minutes are obviously tight, but after that it was all Michigan. Nebraska never had a chance. And, you know, the Huskers, we'll talk about them in a little more detail in a second, but that's a solid team. You know, they're not a great team, but that's a solid team. And to take it to them like that, I, I think speaks a lot about how Michigan was playing at that point. And then, you know, you get Michigan State, who is red hot. Uh, they beat Wisconsin on Friday. They have won 13 in a row coming in to their battle with the Wolverines. And, you know, we'll talk about more of, you know, maybe that 13-game winning streak was a little bit hollow, you know, looking back. Um, we'll talk about that more in the NCAA podcast that'll that'll follow this um, probably uh, tomorrow. But, you know, the Spartans playing about as well as anyone. They're a top-five team on Ken Palm heading into the game, or at least, you know, six right there. You know, top 10 quality opponent that Michigan's facing off against on Saturday. And Michigan took it to them. You know, they deserve to win that game. They outplayed Michigan State. I thought the Spartans uh, really, you know, they had a few runs there, but, uh, you know, I, I thought Michigan deserved to win that game. I thought they were the better team. I thought they played better for really the entire afternoon. And But for, you know, Duncan Robinson and Wagner having some rough first-half shootings from the perimeter, uh, you know, Michigan very well could have blown out Michigan State. Now, it didn't happen, you know, and, and maybe some different things would have happened had Michigan been hitting some of those threes with Wagner and Robinson. But they get a solid win. It's their second win over Michigan State this season. Obviously an impressive feat that few teams have accomplished in recent memory. Um, the other, uh, or excuse me, and then they follow that up on Sunday with a game against Purdue. Uh, Purdue had won the regular season series against the Wolverines 2-0. to zero. They swept them. And uh, Purdue obviously with some momentum at that point as well. I think they won five or six in a row coming into that game, something of, of that sort. And Purdue was coming off a, a real solid victory over Penn State on Saturday evening. So I, I think that, and again, you know, Purdue has a very similar Ken Palm profile to Michigan State, top five-ish team. So that's a really, really tough matchup on paper. Um, but Michigan took it to them. Uh, their defense was just stifling. Xavier Simpson was creating on offense. 
Wagner and John Teske, the reserve center, were doing work up front, you know, converting on their shot opportunities inside. And uh, another huge win. And, I mean, if, if we just take a step back, and the reason I wanted to go through, you know, sort of the path to the title there was because, you know, Michigan playing four hot teams in a row, beating them all soundly with the exception of Iowa. And, you know, two of these teams are top ten quality opponents, uh, and one of them is a top 50-ish team really trying to get its way into the NCAA tournament. And I think when you sit back on that, I mean, that is a huge run. You know, obviously the the champion's always going to have a pretty impressive run, but to me, that's that's one that speaks volumes and certainly is going to help Michigan's seeding heading into the postseason. And, you know, as of Sunday, Michigan has now won nine games in a row, dating back to that odd Northwestern loss. You know, uh, I want to say roughly a month or so ago, um, really, really impressive run for the Wolverines. You know, that in, that run has included wins over Purdue, Ohio State, Michigan State, Nebraska, um, Penn State, Maryland. I mean, it, they've beaten just about everyone uh, on this recent run in the, in the Big Ten. And, you know, we'll see what happens with Michigan as far as seeding. And as I mentioned, I'm I'm honestly not just trying to promote that next podcast, but we'll get into that more on the next one. But generally speaking, I I think Michigan has uh, done well for themselves. They're going to have a shot to play in Detroit. They're going to have a shot at a three seed, um, which is really crazy thinking about, you know, two months ago, Michigan looked like it was going to be on the bubble uh, on Selection Sunday. So big weekend for the Wolverines. So I would say uh, that's the second big takeaway of the weekend. And then the third one, um, which is going to be the start of I want to go through each team and and sort of my reactions to what happened um, is the fact that the Big Ten's bubble teams did not do enough, in my opinion, to get in. They're probably going to fall short. And, you know, we'll start at the top with Maryland. And, I mean, to be honest, I don't know if Maryland was a legitimate bubble team coming into the Big Ten tournament, but, hey, they had been for much of the season, so I'm going to throw them in (laughs) this discussion here. Uh, You know, Maryland comes in. They certainly have to get to Sunday, if not win on Sunday, to have a shot at making the NCAAs. Um, they fall flat in the first game against Wisconsin. It's competitive, but the Badgers pull out a, a pretty ugly game on uh, Thursday afternoon, um, ending Maryland's season or ending their Big Ten tournament run, I should say. Uh, as far as the Terps, I still think they're in solid NIT uh, position, but. Um, I don't think they have a prayer uh, at even sniffing the NCAA tournament this year. Obviously a a disappointing season given the preseason expectations, but, you know, with um, the injuries they had to endure and some of the odd scheduling luck, you know, it happens. But tough break for them, um, but they were the first team to go down. The next team I want to talk about as far as the bubble hunt was Nebraska, the Huskers, uh, thanks to a 13-5 and regular season performance in the Big Ten, get the four seed, which means they don't have to play on Wednesday and Thursday, and they get the winner of Michigan versus Iowa on Friday afternoon. Unfortunately, you know, Nebraska can't get the job done. They get handled pretty easily by Michigan on Friday, and they go down in their Big Ten tournament opener. Now, as far as the Huskers are concerned, 
there's a lot of mixed thoughts on this. Um, you know, I was actually watching ESPN the other night, and you know, one of the analysts, I I can't remember who off the top of my head here, uh, he was like shocked that a Big Ten team that went 13 and five wouldn't be in the tournament, and. You know, on its face, I you know I wrote an article about this uh, a week or two ago. But on its face, Nebraska has all the general measures that you're used to of an NCAA tournament team. I mean, they're well above 20 wins. They have a really nice conference record. They finished in the top four in a Power Five conference. They were really good at home. You know, these are all things that you're generally you know expecting of a team that's going to get into the field relatively easily. And in most years, I think Nebraska would uh, be in the field pretty easily. But unfortunately for the Huskers, this is a remarkably strong bubble year for the NCAA tournament. And I don't think they're all that close, to be honest, at this point. And, you know, people uh, have been a little dismissive of that. Uh, They've pushed back a little bit. You know, people may not like it. But when you actually sit back and start analyzing the schedule beyond, you know, what was their record in conference play, you know, where did they finish in the conference standings, and actually look, okay, what are their wins, what are their losses, who did they play, when did they play them, the resume is not all that impressive, you know, certainly in a bubble context. And what I would say is, you know, their best win of the season is Michigan at home. That's a good win. That's a quality uh, quadrant one win. There's no disputing that. Um, and then Nebraska looked really good <laughs> when they won that game as well. What, what do they really have beyond that, though? I mean, they beat Penn State at home, who is uh, 75th, 76th in RPI. That's not a quadrant one win. And I think it's really hard to sit back and look at that 13 and 5 record and fourth place finish in the Big 10 and you know really be wowed by it when you sit back and look and say wow you know after that Michigan win there really isn't much meat on the bone here and i personally do i think Nebraska is a you know efficiency type team uh quality team that you know just generally speaking is an NCAA tournament team yeah I I think Nebraska probably would do okay in the NCAA tournament this year. And certainly in comparison to a lot of the mid-major teams. But you got to have the resume to get in. You know, that's that's where the bowl stops. And Nebraska just doesn't have the resume. And I don't expect them to get good news on Selection Sunday. However, you know, like Maryland, um, I think they're in great shape for the NIT. I think they will be a very high seed in the NIT this year, which, you know, certainly is progress considering how they've been the last couple of years. So not what Husker fans were hoping for when they headed out to New York City, but, you know, I think it's reality uh, for Nebraska at this point. And then the third bubble team was Penn State, who came in with, um, you know, a relatively similar position as Nebraska. I thought Penn State was a little behind considering their poor finish to con- or excuse me, regular season play, but they were a team, you know, if they got to uh Sunday, they would have a real shot at making it. Um but they really needed to rack up uh a couple wins. You know, they open um with a win against Northwestern. Um however, they end up 
going down, or excuse me, they open with a win against Northwestern, and then they upset Ohio State for the third time this season on Friday evening. Uh, huge win, and I, I think a lot of people were thinking that this could be one of those magical conference tournament runs. And then, unfortunately, they run out of steam on Saturday afternoon against Purdue. Um to end the Big Ten tournament run for the Nittany Lions. You know, I, I kind of think Penn State's in a pretty similar position as Nebraska. You know, at the moment, I wouldn't be very shocked if, you know, on the old S-curve, they're right next to each other. And I just, I don't think Penn State quite has enough uh, to get in. You know, the poor non-conference scheduling really hurt them. That loss to Ryder really hurt them. And frankly, they needed to win one of those last two regular season games. They couldn't get the job done against Michigan or Nebraska. And I think they're another Big Ten team that will be headed to the NIT. So not a great year for the bubble Big Ten teams, in my opinion. You know, and a lot of it is certainly due to just a down year for the league. You know, if some of those bottom teams had been a little bit better, you know, maybe Nebraska would have the RPI numbers to get in. You know, maybe Penn State could have scored another quality uh, road win or something. But, you know, that's that's not reality. The bottom of the Big Ten was remarkably bad for what fans are used to seeing this year. And it's going to show up on Selection Sunday, in my opinion. And I think where it's really going to hurt is the bubble team. So, my my gut at this point, I know I'm going to avoid talking about the NCAA tournament seeding too much, but my gut and my head here say four teams are going to make it. I think three Big Ten teams end up going to the NIT, and the one question mark there as far as a fourth NIT team will be Indiana, which we will get to in a second. But So that's the last big storyline I had, and I want to spin off of that and talk about the teams we haven't talked about and sort of where they're sitting uh, I don't want to, you know, I'm not going to go into excruciating detail on each one of these teams to recap the entire season, but just some reactions as far as they go. And uh, I'm going to start with uh, the Wednesday teams. Uh, first, you know, the the 11, or excuse me, the 12 versus 13 game, which was Iowa against Illinois. I'm going to start with the Hawkeyes. Iowa ends up taking down Illinois on Wednesday. Very competitive game on both sides. Both teams fight very hard. Iowa is able to advance. Um, they fall short in overtime against Michigan, you know, a near upset victory. Um, but Iowa's season is over. They're not going to get in an IT bid. They're not going to sniff the NCAAs. Um, and I would be shocked if uh, they even got considered for any of the smaller tournaments as well. So as far as Iowa, you know, very disappointing season. You know, a lot of people had high expectations. I thought they were an NCAA tournament team coming into the season, to be frank. Um, I thought they had some legitimate concerns, obviously, but so much experience, so much depth coming back, and they just could not figure it out. Uh, I thought there was just too much rotation. The defense was obviously the massive issue. Uh, no one could defend, and I do wonder if we sort of got lured in a little bit um, by just the sheer number of players returning instead of looking at you know maybe who was returning and whether those guys were going to be able to play on both sides of the floor. But disappointing season for Iowa. You know they're going to return the vast majority of their roster. I would anticipate heading into next season. So they're. Hopefully for Hawkeye fans, there will be some 
progress by next year. But, um, you know, it's it, it's been a disappointing run the last two years. You know, you don't make the NCAAs in Peter Jock's last year, and you follow up his departure from the program with a just dreadful season where, frankly, you looked like you had the roster good enough to actually make some noise. So we'll see um, if things change. But I, I will say I, I do think the seat's heating up a little bit on Fran McCaffrey. I think he's safe for now. I, I don't think that should be a, a real discussion at this point. But I will say I, I think he's a, a bad season away from, from things, you know, really starting to uh, pressurize out in Iowa City. So... Uh, that's what I would say as far as Iowa. Um, Illinois, you know, they lose in the first game to Iowa. Again, also another, you know, really rough year for the Illini. Um, for fans, for Illini fans, though, the thing I would say is, you know, this year was going to be tremendously difficult. Uh, as soon as you took a look at that roster, Brad Underwood needed everything to go perfectly to even have a chance at being okay. Um, and I, I really, I don't want to be hyperbolic here, but I, I really would encourage people, go look at that roster. Go look at the depth pieces he has. Go look at the experience he had. And come back to me and then tell me why he should have achieved more um, or significantly more. Because, look, they were close in a lot of games. I can understand if you say, like, you know, they should have won five or six more games. Okay, but... That still doesn't do much as far as their overall season. You know, they're they're not going to be close to the NCAA's and anything like that. So, very disappointing season for Illinois. But Brad Underwood was hired here for the long term build, and I, I think the one big thing to remember, and this will go to the uh, another team I'm going to talk about, Indiana. But you know, he was brought in to recruit Illinois to get them talent and to develop that talent and. He's going to need time to recruit um, beyond just some last-minute additions to fill out the roster. So, tough season for Illinois. I still like Brad Underwood a lot. I think he's going to take them to great places, but unfortunately it's not going to be this season. Um, and then moving on to the the lower half here, I'll start or the of the Wednesday games, I should say. I'll start with Minnesota. You know, obviously, they they could very well be the single most disappointing team in the Big Ten. I think you could make a very strong argument there. They come into the season with top twenty five aspirations. Um, I I thought they could be a dark horse contender for the Big Ten title. To be honest with you, um, you know, Michigan State was obviously the favorite. They end up winning it, but Minnesota had a really nice roster. They had experience. They had depth, but. Uh, as soon as Reggie Lynch, you know, had his issues and Amir Coffey had uh, his injury, things just spiraled out of control for Minnesota. You know, I, I don't exactly think that's encouraging for the long-term future of the program. You know, you think with Nate Mason on a roster, Richard Pitino could have figured out a way to achieve a little more than what Minnesota did. I mean, I think they won one game over like the last two months or so of the season. You know, just a horrific finish. They conclude by losing to Rutgers on the first day of the Big Ten tournament. Really rough season for the Gophers. We will see what happens heading into next year. But, you know, if I'm a Gopher fan, I'm, I'm a little bit unsettled as far as what next year looks like. Um, moving on from the Gophers to the other team in uh, Wednesday's game. That would be the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. And I, I want to preface this 
my commentary here with a, a couple things. First off, Rutgers did not have high expectations coming into this season. Nobody thought they were going to be a great team. Nobody thought they were going to make the NCAA tournament. At best, people thought maybe they could get into the NIT bubble range. That I'm, I'm not trying to be dramatic here. I'm just trying to be realistic. That's where the program was coming into this season. And, and as we all know, that's exactly what happened. Rutgers had a really rough record. Their Ken Palm rating was terrible. They were never anywhere close to the NCAA tournament. And frankly, they didn't even get close to the NIT bubble range. Um, they also had a great performance in the Big Ten tournament, all things considered. They knock off Minnesota on the opening day. Um, they follow that up with an upset win against Indiana. And then they really pushed Purdue on Friday and nearly advanced to Saturday. So it was a really great performance for a team that had no expectations coming into New York City and a great performance from Corey Sanders who really played out of his mind for the duration of the tournament. Now, as far as where the program's sitting, where it's heading, um, I I think you have to start with the fact that this was a bad season. I, I don't care that they won two games in New York. I don't care that they might have played some teams tough and that they beat Seton Hall earlier this season. This was a bad team. It was a terrible season. And I still think Steve Peekles the right guy for the job. I don't think his seat should even be warm at all. But I do think at some point, Scarlet Knight fans need to get over the you know moral victory or the, uh, yeah, really just the moral victory. I mean, you know, playing teams tough at some point runs out. You know, people are, uh, they played Purdue t- really tough twice this year, and they beat them zero times. You know, that, that might be cute and fun right now, but at some point, Scarlet Knight fans need to expect a little bit more than playing teams tough. And Rutgers is obviously not the, the they're not a blue blood program, um, but I think next year is a very big season for Steve Peichel because I do think, you know, he's built up a lot of goodwill, um, but he still does not have the results at all. You know, no, they actually regressed, in my opinion, this season based on his first year. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. But um, for fans who are overjoyed and doing backflips, uh, I'm sorry, you should raise your expectations a little bit because a Big Ten tournament quarterfinal appearance after a losing record season to me, uh, should not be where <laughs> where you're heading um, or what you're satisfied with, um, frankly. But still like Steve Peek a lot. I, I think he's going to continue the upward trajectory, uh, generally speaking, uh, in Piscataway. But not a great season for Rutgers, obviously. So that, that wraps up our Wednesday teams. Um, moving to uh, the other Friday teams, um, start with uh, Wisconsin. You know, they played very tough uh, in New York. They beat Maryland. They lose to Michigan State. Um, Not much to take away. You know, rough season, mired by injuries, mired by inexperience. Um, But I still, you know, Greg Gard still has a great, uh, you know, tenure there, overall speaking. Um, So I I do think, you know, he... There shouldn't be much pressure there. We'll see what happens next year, but um, they continue to play tough. You saw some progress. They were playing like a top 25 team towards the end of the year, so that's encouraging, and they should return the majority of that team. Um, moving 
past that, you know, we already talked about Michigan, Illinois, Iowa. Um, so the the two teams at the bottom I want to talk about briefly, Northwestern and Ohio State. Um, first start with Northwestern. Uh, you know, really everything I said about Minnesota applies to them with the exception of the uh, injury suspension, Reggie Lynch <laughs> issues, obviously. And um, very disappointing season for them. And really what should have been a year they could have just walked into the tournament. They don't. Um, they are not even going to be in the NIT. And, you know, there, there are going to be some questions about Chris Collins and where he can take this program going forward. But, you know, he still got them to the NCAA tournament, the promised land, so it's hard to complain about too much there. So we'll see how Northwestern looks next year. You know, it wasn't a encouraging season, but there's still uh, plenty of time left for Collins to get things corrected heading into next year um ohio state one game and out (laughs) in madison square garden the buckeyes had a uh really really tough time with penn state this year i mean zero and three against the nittany lions you wonder where they would have been had they not had to face penn state this year um but they'll be in the tournament no problem you know disappointing performance in new york city but they're probably going to end up at a five or six or something like that seed in the NCAAs, and we'll see what they do the year there. But still a really nice season for Ohio State, giving the preseason expectations. So the last uh, teams I want to talk about here um, are two, Michigan State and Purdue. Um, you know, I, I don't really have a, a very strong reactions to either of them and how they played in New York City. You know, I thought Purdue played better than Michigan State over the course of the uh, Big Ten tournament this year. But, I mean, to be to be honest, they both ran into a buzzsaw in Michigan. They fell short. They both fell short by double digits. Um, I didn't think either of them were really ever in a legitimate position to win the game. But they're both going to head into the NCAA tournament as a high seed. I think they're both in solid position to make a deep run. I think Michigan State can make the Final Four. I think Purdue could make the Final Four. And I think both of them, you know, if you make the Final Four, you're in the national championship picture, to be to be frank. So I don't really have a lot of a lot of strong reactions there. As far as maybe things to tinker with, I think Purdue still, it's got to work a little bit on its uh, depth. You know, maybe this is a chance over the next week to maybe grow Eastern's play a little bit. Um, get him more into a, a role here in the NCAA tournament. And for Michigan State, um, they got to figure out that front court rotation. Um, that's the the only thing I would say because I think Miles Bridges has got to move to the four. I, I think this odd lineup up front has really hindered them against the quality competition. But that's about it. I think they just need to tinker. Otherwise, they're in good position. But with that, I'm going to end the podcast. You know, we hit on everybody, I believe. Hopefully I didn't forget anybody. Um, And we'll see you next time. My name's Thomas Bendit. You can follow me on Twitter at TBendit. And get excited, people. Selection Sunday is around the corner. I'll see you guys next time.